0: You very likely have said it at some point in your life. I want patience and I want it now. This statement usually brings smiles, the stray giggle, the knowing wink. It's almost as if this is the worst kept secret in all of humanity. We struggle with patience. The more unpalatable a situation may be, the shorter our supply of patience. This truth is in tension with an equally intractable reality. There are some things that are beyond our control. Some things we just have to wait on. As we endure the twin pandemics of COVID-19 and systemic racism, the hard work of dealing with the challenges before us is taxing our patience we may be discovering that we just don't have the emotional or spiritual resources to do what is before us. Where COVID is concerned, this waning patience could be expressed in a clamor to get back to normal. This is one of those times when we have to realize there is no going back. The world has changed. Like the response to the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis something has shifted and there is no going back. Our faith witness reminds us that it is in these times that God continues to journey with us. The best way we can respond to the change is to continue the work of living faithfully, sharing love, mercy, hospitality, and generosity with those we encounter. When we do, we encounter the God who is present our patience may be finite, but the grace we receive from God is infinite.
1: This morning's scripture lesson comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord prepared appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down on the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to them, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh yes, you did laugh.
0: Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the most difficult uh, periods of Israel's history came immediately after the exodus, after they had crossed uh, miraculously through the Red Sea into the safety of the Sinai Peninsula, uh, set free, liberated finally, after 400 years of slavery, they began a new chapter in their life together. And this new chapter, even though it was immersed in freedom, it brought with it its own challenges. When they had food, Maybe not in abundance but they had food and it could come to them regularly now they weren't sure necessarily where their next meal was coming from god took care of them when there was a need for water god took care of them and yet the elders the elders were so hard on moses they were constantly looking back why did you bring us out into the desert there was meat in Egypt. There was water in Egypt. There was safety in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there graves in Egypt? What they had a hard time reconciling with was the past and the life that they knew and the security that came with the known versus the uncertainty of not knowing. And there were a good many of them that could never get over that, constantly looking back now from, from our eyes and from our sensibility and I, and I I kind of I kind of want to shout at the the elders of Israel yes there was all of this but you were slaves you were slaves this story as a as a as a precursor for what we're going to talk about today with regard to the text that Joanna just read reminds us of the cautionary tale, the problem that can come when we consistently look backward, where we pine away for a life, an experience, a normalcy that we'll never be able to go back to. There is no back to go back to. Our way is not Looking backward. Our way is looking forward. And yet, we still have this tension. I think most of us probably know instinctively that there's no going back. And yet, when we can't see around the corner that's in front of us, it's easy to want to go back. You know, as we think about the, 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 where we are as a, as a nation, as a state, as a community, three months now into uh, the, the coronavirus pandemic, there is this clamoring in so many corners of our community to get back to normal. How many times have you heard people wanting to get back to normal? They want their old life back. They want their old experiences back. They want to go to restaurants. They want to go to gyms. They want to go to the beach. They want to go to all of these things because this uncertainty that stretches before uh, before us is, is, is hard. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to, to reconcile to it. And it, it, it gets old, and it, it wears on us. We just want to get back to normal. Can we just kind of like flip a switch, turn a page, and have things be the way they used to be? The truth of the matter is, that the nature of this pandemic, the, the, just the nature of this virus and what it's going to take to keep everybody safe means that there is no going back. Everything has to be in front of us. We have to look forward and see what comes next what normal is going to look like coming next. As we have, as a, as a community of faith, these last three months as we've gone through this road, walked this road together, one of the things that I'm deeply grateful for is all of the people in the life of the church, uh, leaders and servants, who have continued to do the vital work that we are called to do together around worship, around finance, around facilities, around personnel, around ministry in the community, people who are working and and acting in in forward-looking and creative ways, realizing that our ministry going forward is going to look different. And not just for a period of time, but our sense of self and our sense of what it means to be a church, this particular congregation, to live into the the, the faith, to live into the vision that we have that we have um, have worked toward for lo these many years, is being transformed before our eyes. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the thing. The world has changed like the world has always changed. And we need to learn new ways of being in ministry. And so for all of the people who um, are helping this process of learning new ways to be in ministry, thank you for your work and for your partnership as we seek a new way of being faithful resisting the temptation to act out of the pining for a golden day the 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 story of Abraham and Sarah gives us some very important insight into how we do this work how we go about living into this new day how we go about taking the next steps, because it does require an extraordinary amount of patience. And the, the lifting up of Abraham and Sarah as faithful, not only through the history of Israel, but even in the earliest days of the church, as Paul talks about faithfulness and using Abraham as an image, as a, as a, as a teacher of faithfulness, requires a little bit of understanding and requires a little bit of unpacking. Because you see, when Abram, he was called Abram, and Sarai first responded to God's call to be in this covenant relationship where Abram and Sarah would would be shown a land that would be the the land of their, their heritage, the land of their progeny, they didn't wait at home until that time came to pass, they gathered up and they immediately walked at a fairly advanced age for, for them. They walked. They started this path. They started this journey. It wasn't a straight line. There were twists and there were turns. There were unexpected um, unexpected obstacles along the way. Sometimes uh, they would be faithful. Sometimes they would not. Sometimes they would get it right. Sometimes they would get it wrong. And one of the things that as you, as you read through these several chapters in Genesis and you understand this story, one of the things that was, was a consistent part is that God would continue to show up. The covenant would continually be refreshed and renewed. When they needed, particularly, after a time where maybe they were not as faithful as they could have been, God would show up and remind them of who they were called to be. And one of the cornerstone pieces of this covenant is where we pick up this story for today. One of the cornerstones of the covenant was to be a birth of their own child. They were childless and figured that that day would never come. And yet, there was a promise. It was an open-ended promise. It wasn't like when they were in Haran, God said, okay, in, in three or four years, you're going you're gonna to have a child. Okay, wow, you set that date, you know, mark that day on the calendar, and you, and you start looking forward to it. It was open-ended. Year after year after year after year, this covenant would be renewed, this promise would be renewed, and, and but yet there was, no, there was no date, there was no end in sight. And yet Abraham and Sarah continued to walk. And even in this place, where God shows up again immediately after all of the the ways that uh, Abraham and Sarah tried to uh, hedge their bets with the promise of a son using Sarah's uh, handmaiden, Hagar, and the birth of, of the son, Ishmael, God shows up to remind them, no, it's not just any son. It's the son that the two of you would have together. In due season. Well, how many months away for due season? Patience. Holy patience. They continued to engage in this walk with God, and they learned, and they grew, and they had faith, even though there was not an end in sight, and there was no date certain that they could point to. It would be, by the scriptural accounting of it, it would be 25 years. Twenty-five years that they walked with God and that God walked with them. Twenty-five years. Boy, that's patience. That's patience to hold on to, to believe and have confidence in a promise that they could not see. 25 years is a really big bend in the road to walk through. One of the things that's important to understand, uh, to, to come back to this point about their story is they didn't sit for 25 years and wait for something to happen. They walked, they lived, they were faithful. In this moment, in chapter 18, when the strangers show up, Abraham and Sarah, though they were quite advanced in age, when the strangers showed up, not only did Abraham and Sarah give hospitality, which was the custom, which was the expectation, they didn't give just minimal, expect, uh, uh, minimal hospitality. They didn't you know, pull out a bottle of water out of the refrigerator you know, and lay out crackers and cheese to their guests. They threw a feast, three measures of flour to prepare bread and cakes for their guest. Three measures, three people? That seems reasonable. The reality is, is what we don't know in this is that three measures of flour was enough to make bread for 60 people. There would be no expectation that they would have um, uh, meat for hospitality, and yet they go and they kill the calf, and they pay to the calf. So this isn't, you know, just a quick drive-through feast for or a drive-through meal for the guests, a feast is thrown. They go over the top with hospitality. They go over the top to do what's right. We have a tendency, I think, and well, okay, so we, me, I. It's easy to have a tendency when the way is uncertain to kind of sit back and wait for things to happen. There are times, truthfully, when that's appropriate for a short season to wait and see. But those seasons aren't meant to be long Right now where we are as a, as a church, as a community, as a people, we have an opportunity to make the most of this time. This time that we did not ask for, this time that we would have never looked toward, is a sacred time. It is, if you'll pardon the expression, it is a pregnant time. Something new is being birthed, not only for us as a, as a church community, but for the human community in terms of the twin pandemics, certainly COVID, but also how our culture is changing around the pandemic of racism this is a pregnant time it is an opportunity for each of us to take this time this new sacred time and invest in new ways of walking with God and growing with God investing in new experiences and new practices of of prayer And study of loving and caring and serving one another. This is an opportunity for us. Though we can't see around the bend, we don't know when this is all going to be over. It's an opportunity for us to continue our journey of faith, growing in our experience, and our relationship, our trust and our confidence in the things that we know about God, the things that we know about faith. The journey before us is uncertain, and we don't know. We don't know. As, a, as just thinking about it in terms of our own community of faith, we don't know when we will return to in-person worship, on-campus activities. We don't. We don't know. And yet, that doesn't prevent us from doing the work to prepare, to prepare our sanctuary, to prepare our campus to put in place the kinds of ministries, the kinds of mechanisms that will enable us to do the ministry that we will need to do going forward, a hybrid ministry. The the priorities that will come, we, we, we don't know yet, but we continue to work toward it, to work for it, and to recognize that it is it is a time, it is a turning point in our life and in our history where there's no going back. This is not about uh, returning to the glory days of 2019, returning to the glory days of 1980. For folks that have been in the congregation a long time, and, and I hear this, I hear this nostalgic, it's, it's equal parts nostalgia and equal parts grief about pining away when the, the church had more members, the church had more children, the church had more youth, where the church was more of one thing and less of another. Even before today, there, there was no going back to that. But there is a future that is being laid out for us a future of faithfulness, a future of serving the community and loving on people and strengthening faith and reaching out and bringing people into faith relationships. There are opportunities that are before us right now that six months ago we would have never been able to have conceived. As difficult as this time is, as much grief as we feel about what we have lost, not only in terms of loss of a sense of normalcy, loss of of connection with people, the loss of life that has come during this time, as much as we grieve what we have lost, woven into the fabric of this moment is a hope and a promise, is a gift is a gift of a new day, of new ministry. And it's not that we have this moment, it's not that we endure this moment as a condition of this new day. God grieves with us right now. God grieves with us with what we have lost, but the nature of grace is that even in this grief, even in death, there is resurrection. The Easter story is being told and being rewritten and recast in new ways for us today. And to engage in holy patience, to follow the example of Abraham and Sarah is to trust in what God is doing enough to take the next step. To invest ourselves in what God will reveal to us tomorrow and the next day and all the tomorrows to come. Because God's purpose of bringing new life and healing, and restoration, and transformation, and reconciliation, all of the things that we have talked about and believed in the gospel in ways that we as a church, as a faith community, can reflect that and witness to that, that work that God is, has been doing, is doing, God continues to do that work. And our call today is to walk that path with God. To be patient, but also to invest in the practices that will help us grow and continue to be a part of God's holy work in our life and in our world. Let us commit ourselves to that hope. Let us commit ourselves to that promise. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope you've been encouraged. If you are interested in being part of our worship experience during this time of physical separation, please join us at 9.30 a.m. Sunday specific time on our YouTube channel, Redlands First UMC. That's Redlands, F-I-R-S-T-U-M-C.